chapter 8. And as you arrive there at Romans 8, I want you to pick up with me in verse 1. And we're going to move through the text to where we'll set in today. Uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the, spirit, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is, is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. At verse 12, we see that 12 concludes all that we've just read in verses 1 through 11, where he says this to us. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him our text today is Romans 8 12 through 17 our sermon title is the shift because we see it very clearly in this passage where God shifts us from one place to another where he takes us and makes us something new there's a transition in thought for us we are in a shifting season right now as uh, last week we as a church were able to many of us our life groups were able to participate in pray for BISD and we had groups that went in to the various schools along with other churches in our community and prayed over the schools as they begin a new year we know that the kids are about to start school back right can i get an amen like that that's about to happen school's starting we see shifts as i've watched this week on facebook and even received some texts from friends who are sending their kids off to their first year of college that's a major 
we've noticed a shift in our allergies as the Sahara dust has come over and it is overtaking all of us. Anybody? Just me. Just me. So we have shifts that are taking place all around us. In this text, we see a major shift take place because what happens is God tells us through Paul that who we are in Jesus is not someone who is necessarily obligated to serve God out of any type of fear or just with our white-knuckled obedience. But now we serve God as someone that doesn't just serve because serving is what you do. You serve out of love. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if, you live by, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In verses 12 and 13, we see two things. The first of those is we see what we are to flee from. And the idea of what we flee from is this present reality in every one of us that we look at our scenario and we believe for whatever reason that God does not care for us and we base that understanding of His care or lack thereof on our circumstance. So the first thing that we as believers in Jesus are to flee from as we flee from the flesh is to flee from this idea of self-pity. Because self-pity reminds us of our corrupt nature. When we see the word flesh in the Bible, it's talking, as we've said multiple times these last three weeks, about rebellion and the corruption that's within us. And when we don't believe that God loves us, and we don't believe that God's for us, and we don't see that God is on our side, we begin to use things in our lives that we look at and say, this isn't enough. I don't have enough, I don't own enough, I don't look the right way, I don't make enough money, my, my life is difficult, everyone and everybody, we begin to have this sense of self pity and we're defined and designed by the way in the way that we live by God has not cared for me correctly. We run from that as believers because Paul is reminding us that Jesus has done for us on the cross what we could never do for ourselves. We, we see this new man that pops up. The Spirit refers to a new man that we are in Christ Jesus. That we now no longer have an obligation to this sin nature that would say to us and in our hearts, that would swell up and tell God, you've not been good enough to me. You, you don't owe that anything. Here's a phrase that I love this week as I was preparing. Sin has done you no favors, and you owe it none in return. Sin has done me and you no favors, and we owe it none in return. Verse 13 we see as we continue to flee from self-pity that we no longer just move this direction because we have tied ourselves to it and are going to grit our teeth and our teeth. Teeth is not a word. Teeth is not a word. Not, it's still not a word, even though I've said it three times now. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 
you'll live. I had a nerd moment in the office last week as I was looking over and preparing for this sermon. And for those of you who know me, you know that nerd moments are really the epicenter of my reality. But as I was sitting in my office reading through this passage and looking at a commentary, it hit me that as you read this passage for the first 13 verses, you are looking at this war with sin. And you never see a phrase that would in any way send us to the belief that we are the sons of God. But every verse in Romans chapter 8 from this point forward talks about you and me as believers in Jesus being God's children, God's sons. We belong to him as his. I jumped up and I ran in Jared. Well, I walk really quickly to Jared's office. And when I get to Jared's office, we begin to have this conversation. And I was, did you see this, this shift in this passage? And, and Jared had noticed it a long time before I did because he's much smarter than me. This shift that happens here. This passage talks to us as believers in Jesus about what takes place for us when God initiates this shift. That now, though sin at one point ruled and reigned over us, it no longer does. You and I, by the power of the Spirit, can put our sin to death. The, the Greek word for that is the word uh, thanatote, which is where we get the word, or where Marvel got the word thanos. If you are unfamiliar with Marvel, they are this low-budget movie company that is taking over the world. And their primary villain is this large purple man. Not Barney, the one that was a villain for most of us during our childhood, but this large purple man who is insistent on people dying. Get the word Thanos from that. Death. We are told that in Jesus... Because of the work that Christ has done for us, we can put our sin to death. That we would kill sin by the power of the Spirit. How do you kill sin by the Spirit? You, John Owen, a theologian, says, you kill sin or it will be killing you. And the pathway to righteous life is a killing path. You kill by the Spirit by having your mind set on the things of the Spirit. A ruthless, full-hearted commitment to rebellion against sin so that we hate it for what it is and not for what we are missing. Full-hearted. We know full-hearted. We live in Texas. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. If you've ever watched a television show about football, there is a shift that takes place for the quarterback. There is always a season in the quarterback's life, and we're moving towards football season. If you are unfamiliar with that truth, it will more than likely be an illustration in about 74% of the rest of my sermons. You notice a transition in the, the way that the quarterback behaves. 
And the way that the quarterback functions, the way that the quarterback does the job of the quarterback. Initially, you will see that the quarterback is concentrating and he is focused on what he has done incorrectly. Coach, I can't make that throw. Coach, I can't make that flip. Coach, I can't get around the corner. Coach, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. But there is a moment where the coach gets in his face, whether it's Coach Taylor or Coach Boone from Friday night or from uh, Remember the Titans. And when he gets in his quarterback's face, he says something to the effect of, just focus on football. Do what you love. And when he tells him to do what he loves, in the way that movies tell stories, the, the flip is switched. He gets it. He doesn't ever throw an incompletion or an interception again. Because the flip's been switched. How many of us see and know and realize that what God has done for us in Jesus, he, he has provided a way for us to see sin for what it is. Here's how most of us function in regard to sin because we question and doubt that God loves us. If I do that, whatever that is for you, God will be mad at me. If I say that, it will, it'll hurt the people that are around me. If I do that, I'm going to embarrass myself or my family. I, if I do that, I, I'll hate myself tomorrow. I really will hate myself tomorrow. A pastor that I love says, this is where we are taking our temptation to the law and we are using fear to deter ourselves. That's exhausting. In the long term, it doesn't work. What if we did not take our sin in that direction? Because that's insecure. And what if we fleed from sin and fleed from all that comes with it? By focusing on the salvation that God has offered us. Not in what is insecure because of my shortcomings and my failings. But in what has been secured by Christ's victory. That's a transition that our hearts need to continually wrestle with. If we're going to sing loudly that we believe that we're the children of God. comes down to this. We don't, we don't understand the, the jargon that we say. We've got lots of Christian words that we throw out. Things that we say because that's what Christians are supposed to say. One of the popular phrases that, that we as believers in Jesus use is that we have Jesus in our hearts. Like he's trapped in there. Pumping and battling the pizza that you take in all the time. And while there is truth to the idea that Jesus is inside of us and that he is part of us, do we really know what that means? Jesus does not reside in you and reside in me as believers to tell us over and over, you're so terrible. That's not loving. What if your correction for your child or your grandchild or your whatever, I can't believe how terrible you are. I love you. 
but you're the worst. What if you nurtured your relationship with your spouse that way? You know what? I'm glad that we're in this house together. But I can't believe you tried to serve that to me last night. I don't know how that works at your house. But in the hypothetical situation where I would ever say anything like that, I just need you to know that next Sunday you'll need to fill in. You may need to fill in for the rest of forever. Because I'm not putting to death what is earthly in me. Someone else has. Jesus in your heart for most of us is I don't have to go to hell when I die. But Jesus is just as much concerned for your here and now as he is. What about your right now says that you're secure in Jesus? Sonship has not been mentioned up to this point. And then we just get a full-on blast of it because we've been released. I... Two Sunday nights ago, uh, we opened the door, our front door, and there was a snake there. It was like a boa constrictor or a python or a rattlesnake or a black mom. It was one of the hardcore ones. I called Danny. He actually told me it was a baby chicken rattlesnake. A baby, a baby chicken snake. Chicken rattlesnakes aren't real things. The next day, I go to exercise, and I'm having a conversation about snakes. And one of the ladies who's there said, yeah, I opened my back door yesterday. And when I opened my back door, my husband and I were there, there was a copperhead on our back porch. Where have I moved, by the way? I, I... And she said that she noticed, and her husband noticed, that the copperhead was preoccupied. It was preoccupied because it had a frog trapped in its mouth. It's going to kill the frog. The, the frog is dead. The frog is being eaten. That's what they thought. So their next uh, attempt at dealing with said snake was to, well, since the snake is distracted, let's cut its head off. So they go to get the flathead shovel because that's what you kill snakes with. Not the broom. Or the water hose I tried to tie it up with. Uh, get the flathead shovel. That's a joke. Complete joke. I was a warrior. Get the flathead shovel and take its head off. So that's what they did. They, they took the flathead shovel and they took out the snake's head. But something happened they weren't expecting to happen. The moment that they cut the snake's head off, the frog pops out alive and well. And the frog hops over to a rock and just sits there. Probably considering what had just happened in his life. But here's the thing about snakes. They're not super smart. For all of you people who are snake lovers, whatever that means... 
They're not brilliant. They never warm themselves up to you like your, like your Labradoodle or whatever. They have a small mind that sees everything as enemy, prey. But the frog has a small mind too. And all the frog is thinking is, where can I find a fly? We are different than the frog in that in our release, God has given us opportunity to go to the side and to consider what he has done for us. How many of us spend so much of our lives just taking that for granted? We move from this idea of destroying sin and the death of it to where our lives function optimally where we delight as a son or a daughter. I keep saying the word son. I, the language that Paul uses here, he uses son because he's about to talk about adoption and that's where adoption took place. It took place for this son in the world that he wrote to. Verse 14. All who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Every one of us who are led by God's Spirit, we belong to God. Now, this is problematic in the 21st century. It began to be problematic in around the 19th century because somewhere there popped up this idea that everyone who exists belongs to God as his child. I actually listened to a radio show call in one day where they were talking about people who would hurt God's children, which were children and animals, which doesn't make sense. But the idea that we all are God's children is not a scriptural... There is no scriptural precedent for that. And we see in this text that Paul is saying to us, those who are led by God's Spirit, those are His children. If, through fa- if you, through faith, belong to Christ, you are a son or daughter of God who has the Spirit. And the flip side of that is, if you are void of faith, you are not a son, nor are you a daughter of God, and you do not have a Spirit. If you want to know if you are a child of God, you ask yourself this, this or you think through this, the Spirit hates your sin and is constantly leading you into war with that sin. Which means the killing of the sin by the Spirit, by declaring over and over, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus. That is evidence for us of our sonship and that is our path to eternal life. That's how we live in light of the life that God has offered. That is us going to war with our hearts that are going to tell us that we are not good enough, are not smart enough, are not kind enough, are not enough enough. And looking at that through the lens of John in 1 John where he says, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. God is for us. Yet we have millions upon millions of people who are claiming to be led by the Spirit into sin. Hear this. They are saying they have divine guidance into disobedience. Is that you? Is that me? We use Christian jibber-jabber to talk about things. It begins to define and describe our theology rather than the Bible itself. 
Here's what we believe as to God's leading us. Here are the things that we are concerned with God guiding us into. Parking places at the mall. Whether or not we should leave a church, a job, a spouse, a school. There's nothing wrong with asking for God's guidance in any of those things. Maybe the parking place at the mall. You need your steps. Those Fitbits, that something's got to activate that. But the will of God for you is that we would worry less about things that are not worth our worry. Sonship and daughtership is defined in terms of whose lead you follow. Paul was talking to this church of Gentile Christians. Paul had been a Pharisee. And the Pharisee, they called themselves the children of Abraham. They followed Abraham. And he's saying to us, you are a child of whom you obey. You do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. Your acceptance and my acceptance, your value and my value, your worth and my worth before God is based in who he has shown himself to be in Jesus. And, and you see here that the conversation that you have with God changes. It shifts. Because we're no longer talking about God as this far away being. When we've been invited into relationship with God through Jesus, here's what he says to you. You can talk to me as your father. You can use daddy language. Jesus quote Psalm 31 here uh, and, or in Luke chapter 23 rather and when Jesus quotes that he's on the cross his very last words and he says into your hands I commit my spirit I, that's what Jesus says as he is on the cross about to breathe his last breath that's a quote of Psalm 31 Jesus actually every time he goes through and prays in the scripture with the exception of one he always prays with this idea of God the Father that's what he calls him our Father when he tells us to pray you pray our Father Psalm 31 as he is uh, quoting that on the cross there is one small change in what he says from what the psalmist says the psalmist refers to God in the uh, highest esteem, in the Jewish sense of, of Yahweh, Lord, caps lock, Lord. But when Jesus prays this on the cross, he gives us a gift because he says when you talk to God, you no longer talk to him as this far away being who you respect. You talk to him as a being who has come near to you, who loves you. Father, into your hand I can... I commit my spirit Jesus showing us how to pray he showing us how God adopts how God brings us in how God makes us his we belong to Jesus through the son we belong to God through the son we see that here the, the words in the passage go with me to verse 15 You do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. To fall back into you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You, you, you don't work hard enough. 
Acceptance based on performance is an employee. The Spirit himself bears witness within our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We've been adopted. The, the literal term there is for adoption when he talks about son. You've been sonized. You and I have been made God's children. In the Roman world, the, this is from uh, InterVarsity Press. In the Roman world of the first century, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and to inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior or status to the son born of that father. And the affection of the father was fully focused on the son. And here's the thing about adoption. It's the father's decision. It's a legal act that is costly only to the father. So when we say tritely that everyone is God's child, we are saying incorrectly and honestly as an affront to God that anyone who is not his belongs to him. Standard American religion tells that everyone belongs to God. And scripture over and over says, no, Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross is the great price that God has paid to distinctly say that you're his. Adoption is not found in Jewish culture. The Bible tells us who the children of God are clearly. We are, there is the only begotten son of God. That is Jesus. And you and I enter into right relationship with God and into his family through the, at the great expense of his son on the cross. With Jesus, we, not just Jesus, can address God as Abba, Father. And we can have a conversation with God as someone who loves us immensely and dearly. We don't serve him out of fear. Your fear gets you nowhere. It's a gift for us. Well, how does God communicate with his children? He communicates with his children by his word, with his word, through his word, and never against his word. God is speaking to us through his, his spirit affirms in us that we are his children by what we see in scripture by what God tells us over and over we've seen this contrast in a cowering slave and the confident affection that God gives us he leads us to kill sin not with a slavish fear because God is this dictator of a master but we are called to kill sin with an affection of a child who really does love his father. He stirs up your affection towards God. How many of us has, have that affectionate relationship with the Lord? Not to ever discredit his godhood, but to not forget his fatherly love for us. Our house, a few weeks ago, we had a a little bit of an illness there and I, I don't know if Alder had eaten too much I don't know what was happening there but I did not want bad things to happen in my living room so rather than sleep in my bed I put an air mattress 
blocking my children's room. Because you know how kids are. If they're not feeling well, they run to you. And whatever they are running with runs with them. And I didn't want that to happen. I was going to cut them off altogether. Thou shalt not pass. So I, I'm shutting it down, Gandalf style. And the reason that I do this is to redirect them. At 3 in the morning, I feel this bam on my head. And I looked up, and it was Noli. Because it's always Noli. It's always Noli. Just bam! And she said, Daddy, my covers have fallen off of my bed. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) I talked to her the next day about her mistreatment of me. And she said, "I I, I said your name three or four times. We as the children of God, God always hears us. And he hears us and he says, you belong to me. I've done something so you belong to me. I've adopted you so you belong to me. I've died for you so you belong to me. He always hears. He never does not hear. That's a double negative for emphasis. He always hears you. Always. He hears us so that we can be received properly, not as a worker, but as someone who has a right standing in his presence. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness. We see this in the text. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We see a a bonding of the spirit here. You and I, through what God has done for us in Jesus, bond through his spirit. That is his continual affirmation of our adoption. If you are to talk adoption with anyone in the 21st century, they will tell you that it's difficult. It's an expensive process. It is a difficult process. It is hard. And if you are a parent who adopts an older child, there's difficulty there as well. And the difficulty that is there comes many times with a child who has an understanding of who they were and now they've been given something altogether different. Dear friends who have adopted have shared with me stories of their child who does not and cannot see the mother as their mother. Who cannot see the father as their father. This continual war with a child to take this baby who they have made theirs and affirm in them, you belong to me. I love you. I love you as much as the kids that we that we actually we gave birth to. I love you as much as these children who live in this home and who were here from day one. You are mine, and you have this war in that child's spirit that will say things to them like, "You're not my mom. You're not my dad." And these parents who I know, who I love, who I care for, will say to them over and over and over and over and over, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are. Their encouragement, their direction, their motivation for this child is always based in a love that makes them something different. 
And our rebellious spirits say the same thing to God over and over. God, I'm not yours. I'm not yours. I'm not yours. I'm not yours. Look what I've done. I'm not yours. Look what I thought. I'm not yours. Look what I said. I'm not yours. Look where I'm going. I'm not yours. Look where I've been. I'm not yours. Over and over and over. And for the believer in Jesus, the bonding of the Spirit is Jesus saying to us over and over, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. A bonding of the Spirit provided that we would suffer with Him, that we may be glorified with Him. The witness of the Spirit says that you're God's child. The the, the word there is where we get the word martyr. It means to testify. It is the Spirit standing in front of your sin and saying, this one is not yours. It's not yours. So then we get the reaction is how, of how we live forward. Of how we're going to deal with the sufferings of this current life as people who've received God's eternal inheritance. I don't know if you've looked around, child of God, but when we look at our world, we see that it's not great all the time. The sin has crept itself into every crevice. Sin is present in Hollywood. Sin is present in movies. Sin is present in sports. Sin is present in the church. Sin is rearing itself up. Causing suffering and hurt. But we have received an inheritance that keeps us going. And I would pray that the glorious inheritance that we have been offered in Jesus will help us to not complain in the face of places where those who are outside of that inheritance and outside of Jesus would. John Newton, writer of Amazing Grace, tells a story like this. He says, suppose a man was going to New York for whatever reason to take a possession. That was my emphasis. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate. And his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city. Which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him. If we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out for the entirety of the remaining mile, my carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. This life is moving us towards our inheritance, the difficulty that it entails, the hardships that we will face. We are moving towards an eternal inheritance promised to us through our adoption as sons and continually reaffirmed by the declarative voice of the Spirit. What fools we would be for those who spend time with us to hear us do nothing but complain, but it's so broken, but it's so broken, but it's so broken. What if we would cease to take for granted the fantastic love the Father has for us and allow our hearts and minds to be shaped by its immensity? Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
My guys are going to distribute communion. And as I tell you weekly, or as we take communion, for those of us who believe in Jesus, who belong to Jesus, who are loved by Jesus, this is a physical reminder for us of our bro- of his broken body, of his shed blood. So very much like we could take for granted God's love, we can take for granted this small symbol of it. So you have freedom to eat this cracker and drink this juice at your discretion. But before you pop it in like a cheese it think think through what it means. And as you think through what it means, consider why it means it and consider the places in your life that need to be reminded that by his broken body and shed blood you have been adopted into a, to an eternal family. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and we thank you for these promises that you offer. For all of us who are dragging our feet through this world, shouting and declaring that our carriage is broken, I pray that we would remember that our Savior was broken for us. And let our lives look like they belong to you. Let us fight sin with the, with the things you've given us to fight it with. This promise. This promise that you're not going to leave us or forsake us. This victory that we've been invited into. We ask it all in the name of Jesus.